Well, hello there, and welcome to the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and if you are listening to this, you found episode 000 titled, Listen to This Episode First. And very few people are probably going to do that. However, if you are one of the few who have listened to a more recently published episode of this show and decided, I wonder if I should listen to this all the way from the beginning. And then you went through to the archives and saw the earliest episode. And my intention is to backdate this thing all the way prior to April 23rd. 2006, which is when I published the very first episode of this podcast, or at least this podcast feed. This podcast, much like myself, has certainly evolved over the years. And that's why I wanted to create this start here, listen to this episode first Because I want to make sure if you're going to go through the process after listening to some more recent content to explain what you're going to hear in the first hundred or so episodes, because it's nothing like the content that I'm producing today. By the way, I'm recording this episode 000 episode on Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. Now, if I pull up my calculator here and do 2023 minus 2006, 17 years later. That's right. This podcast was started 17 years ago, which is almost two decades old. But so much has changed in my life and so much has changed in this podcast. And I'd like to give you, I think, a good, strong foundation for what you may experience if you happen to be one of those few people who are going to go back and listen to this in chronological order from beginning to end. And I know very few people do this, but I've been in, I've been in podcasting for more than 17 years now. I've produced nearly 50, actually more than 50 different podcast shows, over 4,700 podcast episodes, and even shows that have let's just say as many as 700 podcast episodes, there are people who find that, very few, and go back to episode one and listen all the way through. Again, I don't know that you'll be that person, but in the event that you are, that's what I wanted to create this for. So, EOTC, what does it stand for? Obviously, it's all over the show title, Encouraging Others Through Christ. Now, in the very beginning of this podcast, this podcast was not called the EOTC or Encouraging Others Through Podcast. It was called the About the Church Podcast. My history is unique in and of itself about how I came through various different branches of Christianity and grew up in that environment. The only thing I know is that from the time I was a kid, I've always had a heart and a passion and a desire to know God and to have relationship with God. As early as I ever heard about God, or was it even before that? I don't know. All I know is that my memory of my childhood today is only 
what I selectively sift through, through the filters of what I believe today. And I know that not all of that is trustworthy. Deconstructing one's beliefs is a part of, I believe, the spiritual process, coming to your own understanding of who you are, why you're here, and what is it that you want to create in this world? What do you want to experience in this world? What is your path? What is your journey? Well, I never really had that perspective back then. Instead, I grew up in an environment where people told me that this was all figured out for me. And here are all of the conclusions, which the word conclusion means that it's come to a close. There's no more debate on this. We have the definitive answer. The only problem is, though, in the environment that I grew up in, which was, again, Christianity, that was what was offered to me in easy access to my pursuit of knowing God and having a relationship with God. And so that, for me, the earliest days I can remember is that when I was in preschool, I, by the way, I just pulled out of the my family safe that we have, there is some sort of dedication document that says with when I was a child and probably about one, two, or three years old, I'd have to go look, pull it out. But I was, quote unquote, dedicated to God as a child. I was baptized or whatever. There was a, there's, a, there's a document in there that says this. So obviously, this is before I had any conscious awareness or deciding factors of anything. But the only thing that it in- indicates to me, my mom's signature is on there. So at some point, she had some sort of influence in the Christian faith as well. Also... The very little I know about the gene- genealogy of my ancestors, I happen to know that there are some great-grandfathers and and people on the tree that would be considered to be ministers or pastors or preachers, more than likely, uh, within the Christian faith. And it seems to be that that came primarily through a Protestant evangelical, fundamentalist faith. I may be reading into that. I didn't know my my great-grandfather or my great-great-great, you know, whatever ancestors. But just given the overall direction and how the harvest that that has produced within the consciousness of the family that I've grown up with in, in both my immediate family and extended aunts, uncles, cousins, all of that stuff. I I certainly see the fruit of their thought and teaching and belief. It's carried down from one generation to the next generation. And a lot of that was even carried down to me. And I don't know how much of this was at a subconscious level from my mom. I don't know why she ended up one day in a Wesleyan church and decided to dedicate me. My mom is still alive, and now that I think about it, I I might actually go and have a conversation with her about that. It'd be an interesting thing for me to learn a little bit more about. But here's what I will say, is that from the time I was a kid until, from, from that baby, all the way up until, gosh, maybe eight or nine years old, 
I don't recall my mom and dad having any real religious experience whatsoever. My mom and my biological dad, I don't recall anything ever from the time that they were together where we ever went to a church or ever sang a hymn or prayed together. When my mom got divorced from my biological dad and she then uh, became involved with my, who became my stepdad and who is today my dad, he adopted me uh, in, in my adult life. But I, from all the way up until my teenage years, not once was there ever, hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's pray. Let's have a conversation about God. Um, let's, let's, let's pray. I mean, none of that. Let's talk about the Bible together or anything. There's nothing of that from my parents all the way up until the time I'm a teenager. However, I did have some early experiences. Well, when my mom and my, I'm going to say stepdad just for the sake of early childhood, he, he, was at my, he was my stepdad at the time. And so my mom and my dad were together and they both worked. And I do recall that as a preschooler, like nursery school, that I was attending a Nazarene church's preschool. That is a memory that I have. I don't have much memory of what took place there. The only, I do have one very vivid memory, and that is on a daily basis, they would pull out these cots that would be unfolded, and we'd have quiet slash nap time. <laughs> Which, by the way, there's this thing, it's called the Nazarene nap, and it, it became very prominent later in my early adult life. And I and today I still very much enjoy what's called the Nazarene nap. But anyway, all this to say that I don't remember any teaching that I had as a kid, but I can't imagine that if I am actually a toddler, a, a young kid, this is well before first grade, before kindergarten, because I remember kindergarten and I have I have very clear, vivid memories of kindergarten. I have very clear memories of first grade, both the first time and the second time. And so what I will say is that this prior, this pre-K nursery school, preschool experience, while I have no memory there, I have to imagine that if this thing is being held in a in the basement of a Nazarene church, those workers there are probably very much a part of that faith movement, the Nazarene faith tradition which is interestingly an offshoot of the Wesleyan tradition, which again, on this little dedication ceremony form that's in my, in my document safe, I, the, I, I, was, I was dedicated to God at, in the Wesleyan church, and here I am in preschool already probably being introduced to God from a Nazarene theological doctrinal perspective. Even without my family, you know, doing that for the very intense, intentional purposes of having me indoctrinated or having me learn about God. I, I think they were really looking for a place where they could safely assume that I'd be well cared for. And I genuinely believe that. And, it, and, and I don't have any negative memories of, of that experience. Again, the only memories I have are 
sleeping on a cot in the middle of the in the middle of the day because it was time to take a nap. I, it, in, if anything, it was a very peaceful experience. So at this time, I I grow a little older and I'm in uh, kindergarten. We're living in Clifton, Ohio at the time, and I am in a public school system where in Clifton, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, this is in the mid-70s. And if you don't know anything about Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio does not have an incredibly powerful track record when it comes to race relations, black and white. So I grew up in a somewhat tumultuous time where I was one of very few, if I had to guess maybe four or five white kids in an predominantly all-black school. I don't recall ever being treated poorly in that situation. Matter of fact, my kindergarten year in at Clifton Elementary School was so much fun. Matter of fact, as a child, if I think about childhood memories, some of my most pleasing, most pleasant, most wonderful childhood memories, one of them is being in kindergarten, playing uh, in, in kindergarten with things like art. I remember them teaching water painting and the other, just regular painting. I remember art was something I truly enjoyed as a kid and they allowed me to explore. The art of playing with blocks, building things. I remember having a great time interacting with other kids. We didn't know any better. And as far as I know, there wasn't anything going on that I felt like I was being treated any different from my kindergarten teacher than than any other kids in the school. So my kindergarten year was amazing. And I also remember having lots of fun on the playground, both in kindergarten and in first grade in this same school. I remember playing tetherball and foursquare and hopscotch among other things that we did, and it was fun. I mean, just the, the, the connection I felt to other kids in my class, and quite frankly, at the time, I don't know that you could tell me, if, if you could ask me, hey, who in your class is white and who is your, in your class is black? I don't know that I would have been able to tell you that because it wasn't a part of my conscious awareness at the time that there was any difference. Now, things shifted a little bit in first grade. I was not aware of it myself, but I did notice that for some reason in first grade, I was put in the back of the class. Now, whether this was done intentionally, I don't know. Certainly, I've been led to believe that that's what happened. But my mind and my attention certainly wasn't naturally drawn to the systematic approach of education. I did a lot of daydreaming, let's just say. Now, was this the fault of anyone in my class? Absolutely not. Was this the fault of any of my teachers? Absolutely not. Now, 
were there indicators that maybe I wasn't keeping up and learning as much as the other kids or whatever the case may be, that maybe I'm not getting great marks on whatever tests or assessments that are being given? I, I don't know. All I know is that I had a great first year. I loved recess. I I loved the time in school sitting back and just gazing out the window, daydreaming about you know the joyousness of of life and just the I, the way that I could see the leaves and the trees outside blowing in the air. I I was a carefree kid in first grade, sitting in the very back row of my class, kind of hearing the teacher up front speaking to the class, but hearing what is affectionately known as mwah, 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 mwah. And if you're old enough to know the Charlie Brown cartoons, you know what I'm talking about. That's That was my experience in first grade in public school at Clifton Elementary. I have some other fond memories of interactions with people there and just my exploration trying to understand the world that I was living in. I was a very analytical child just wasn't interested in the boring stuff they were talking about up there in the front of the classroom. So at the end of the first year, I think I, I may be misremembering this, but I failed, failed first grade. In fact, I couldn't, what I was told is I didn't even know how to write my first name, Cliff, at the top of a page. So at the end of first grade, I didn't even know how to spell my first name. And this was worrisome. My this is the first time my mom had heard my mom and my stepdad at the time had heard that I was struggling with my education and they were really concerned about this. I don't know what they did but they talked I I would imagine they went and talked to the school or whatever. They were recommending that I repeat the first grade. All I remember is that that did not sit well, uh, that there was a lot of um, there was a lot of negativity around the idea of restarting the first grade again. And there was a lot of concern about whether or not this school had enough care for me. And maybe there was, and it was assumed that there might be something related to the fact of the color of my skin, that that could be it. Again, all of this stuff, I'm just giving you what I remember from that time. And, and again, my memory is not to be relied upon, nor, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the other people involved in the scenario. If I went to my mom and my stepdad, I'm sure that they would have some more information and insight. But even then, it's it's whatever their perception was at the time. But one thing led to another, and just one block down the street, basically across the street, there was a little Catholic church called Annunciation, the Church of the Annunciation. And they had a school associated with this this church. It was a Catholic school. So I definitely remember sitting in this principal's office who happened to be a Catholic priest. And I remember them asking questions and saying, hey, do you think that you could, you know, just blah, blah, blah. Now, here I am. I'm a non-Catholic, as far as I know, I'm the only non-Catholic in this all-Catholic school in the first grade at the Church of the Annunciation or the School of the Annunciation. And from that point forward, from first through seventh grade, I experience the, the lens or understanding of God through a Catholic perspective. 
I will be introduced to the ideas of God through the Protestant faith later on in the story. But what I will share with you is that I was attending, you know, religious education consistently on a weekly basis. There was religious Catholic catechesis. Here's what you need to know about the Catholic faith and and what we believe. And every Friday, all students attended Mass. Every Friday. Now, in first grade, this wasn't so big of a deal because I was basically at the same level as all of these other kids. Even though I was non-Catholic, technically speaking, they were in their formation years, their their form, formation year uh, leading up to what would be their first communion and, and stuff like that. But that doesn't happen until second grade, or at least it didn't in, in the schools that I was a part of until then. All I can tell you is this. Every word that was spoken about God and our relationship to God, I listened intently. wasn't so much con- I wasn't so much as interested about math and history and spelling and all of this other stuff. I, I, they, they disciplined me enough to get enough grades to pass, but it was only the stuff I learned about God that I was really interesting in, interested in. My again, some of my fondest memories as a child, one of them or multiple of them are sitting in that church of the Annunciation. Now, as an adult, I've gone back to that church and I've quietly, reverently, silently walked in, took in that space, which by the way, it's so much smaller now than when I was a kid. I mean, it was massive when I was a kid, but it is so much smaller now. But anyway, and I'll sit in a pew, and I'll just feel something that is unique to that space. And it, and it, and I genuinely, as a kid, felt connected to God. Now, I was taught to feel connected at God. I was conditioned that this is a sanctuary. This is a sacred space, a holy space, a set apart space, and that the presence of God very physically was there through the body and blood of Christ, or through the body of the Eucharist in there. So everything that was taught, I tried to listen to intently, and you know, and and I soaked up everything I could. And all I know is that when we sang hymns and I heard the echo and I saw the candle flames flickering in those votive glasses and the altar and the paintings and just the architecture and the sound of the music and I just felt amazing. And that was everything I'm referring to now. That was my first grade year. Then, after first grade was over, my parents moved from Clifton, Ohio, to northern Kentucky. Now, through this process, they're like, okay, he's obviously done much better in his education, and we want to make sure that he continues to get the best education possible, so they sought out a Catholic school in northern Kentucky, and it happened to be in what's called Ellesmere, Kentucky, or actually technically it might be, I think it's still Ellesmere, or it might actually be on the 
line of Erlanger, Kentucky. Anyway, the church is and, and school is called Mary, Queen of Heaven. And it's a part of the Covington Diocese or parish or whatever, but um, Mary, Queen of Heaven. So here I am now in second grade. I'm introduced, I'm, again, I, at this point, I'm one of two non-Catholics in an all-Catholic school. And this school, I, I, I sit there in second grade, and I remember having a pretty decent relationship with my fellow classmates, again, listening to everything that's being taught from the religion perspective, listening to everything I can pick up from the masses that are happening on Friday, and even having some great felt presence of God moments in the practices of the Catholic Mass, especially during the Way of the Cross, which was this enactment of the Passion of Christ and these different stations, and there's the song, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And there was the burning of incense, the frankincense. There were so many different things that really resonated well with my soul and my connection to God. And what I'm trying to say is that from an early childhood, I always felt some sort of resonance and connection and desire to learn and know more about God and my relationship with God. And that these were my earliest influences. So it things took a little bit of a turn in second grade, they it came time for the kids in class to be introduced to what's called First Communion, and you can go to First Confession. And I was told that these two sacraments are only for those who are a part of the Catholic faith, who have pro- professed the Catholic faith, faith. And I went to my mom and dad. Again, my mom and dad have expressed nothing to me whatsoever about Catholic or faith tradition, and they're but they're coming. My um, at least my mom coming from a very Protestant, she had concerns about it, and she didn't try to talk me out of it. But she certainly gave me the vibe that you know she'd prefer that I not. And I I think I picked up on that. Whether she consciously did that or not, I don't know. But I felt like my relationship with my mom was more important than my relationship with my classmates, and so. I, I'm like, you know what, I, th- I think I'm going to st- stick this one out and just do no. I'm not going to convert to Catholicism. That My family's not Catholic. Why should I be Catholic? And, and so I, at a very young age in second grade, made that decision. I'm not Catholic. And that began to put, build a wall between me and my other schoolmates. All of a sudden, I'm in mass, and now for the very first time, when everyone in my class gets up and stands in line to go receive communion, I am obligated to sit and watch. When everyone else is taken to uh, confession, I'm obligated to sit outside the center that I am with no one <laughs> to speak to. You know, and, and just imagine, if you will, if you know anything about the Catholic faith, what might be going through my mind. As I do that, and also what might be going through the mind of all these other kids, and I began to get treated differently, and some of that may have been my own point of attraction, if you know anything about the law of attraction. 
I'm going to take a drink of water and continue this. About this time, my mom and dad own a grocery store in Ellesmere, Kentucky. And there was a guy who came and delivered coffee and coffee supplies to the store. People would often come in and buy a cup of coffee and they'd have all these coffee pots. And I don't remember the name of the company, but there was a man named Earl Price. And this guy, I the best I would describe him is a jolly old man. <laughs> he was a little heavy set from my recollection, but he was always smiling, very kind demeanor. And whenever he came into the store, I always felt very calm and peaceful around him. Now, my mom and dad had developed a very close relationship with him, close enough such that I believe it started where I was uh, on a baseball team and his grandkids were on a baseball team. And he happened to be a part of a Nazarene church in Florence, Kentucky. Get a theme here, Nazarene. So he was a part of a Nazarene church in Florence, Kentucky, and he asked my parents, hey, you know, would you think, do you think your son Cliff would be interested in attending Sunday school? Maybe it might have been vacation Bible school at the time, you know, with my, with my grandkids. And my mom and dad asked me, and I'm like, sure, it sounds great. And I went, and I had a wonderful experience. Might have had a lot to do with the fact that they had cookies and Kool-Aid and lots of fun and games. They had flannel graphs and they talked about Jesus. And of course, me being the interested person that I am, this is new information about God. This is a new perspective and a new way of viewing God that's different from what I've been experiencing through the Catholic schooling that I'm a part of still at that time. And when it came time for vacation Bible school to be over, I was sad. And then my friend Earl said, well, if, if you're interested and you can talk to your mom and dad, I can pick you up on the weekends. We can have the church van come and pick you up for Sunday school. And so I talked my mom and dad into this, and they said, sure. And so I went to Sunday school every Sunday. I went to church every Sunday when I was a kid. Not because my mom and dad encouraged me to go, but because I wanted to go. I, as far as my recollection, I talked them into this. And here I am now being taught directly from the Bible, and I, I'm being taught that the Bible, it, what this is what the Bible is, this is how the Bible came about, this is why. This is what you should believe about the Bible, this is what you should think about the Bible, this is what the Bible says, and this is what, how you should think about what the, the Bible says. And imagine that that's what I'm experiencing in Sunday school from a Nazarene Wesleyan Arminian theology perspective, if you know anything about these things. That's what I'm being indoctrinated with on the weekends. And there's, I'm noticing some discrepancies between what I'm hearing in religion class and what I'm hearing over here. Not yet understanding the division and how it all happened yet, but. I'm noticing some unique perspectives. All I'm noticing, though, is outside of my not having a good time with 
these kids who are treating me so poorly. I was bullied as a kid. But even still, the love and care of teachers, the Catholic teachers that I had, the Catholic principal that I had from second grade all the way through seventh grade, the the love and care of the cafeteria staff that I was so graciously allowed to participate and be a part of, going back and cleaning dishes afterwards. I mean, I loved just being around these adults. Anything I could do to get away from these kids was awesome. And so I spent a lot of time with the adults as much as possible in the school system because it got me it got me out from the bullying that I was had to endure. So I I I loved those people and they loved me and I could sense that they loved God. And then on the weekends I'm attending this Nazarene Sunday school class and then of course after Sunday school we would go sit in the Sunday service and the way that people prayed there was so wildly different. There were people up on in the front at this thing called the altar and they would be kneeling and they would be praying and they would start shouting out loud and some of them would be crying out loud and and I just all I know is that I loved it. That's it. I loved I loved this experience, and it was so vastly different. Now, I did that for several years, and eventually I had some other friends then that lived in my neighborhood, and they said, hey, we've got vacation Bible school, and it wasn't the same week as our vacation Bible school, so they said, would you like to come? And so as a result of that, I'm now being invited and attending different vacation Bible schools from Lutheran churches, uh, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches, all sorts of churches. And my mom and dad are cool with this. And interestingly enough, I'm being taught these, you know, if you don't know anything about Vacation Bible School, it's basically seven full days of fun programming to help you understand the basics of the doctrine of Christian faith for a, a kid to understand and to want to dedicate their life to that way of believing about God and in Jesus. And I just I just loved it. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that some of these are, even with, I, re, I at this point I'm recognizing, okay, there is this thing called Catholic faith, and then there's the Protestants, the ones who broke off from the Catholic Church in protest of some of the disagreeable theological stances. So I am aware of that, but now all of a sudden I'm becoming aware of, so so Cliff, tell me, do you have a church? I do, I go to, I, I, I attend this Catholic school, and so I, I sit in Mass every Friday, and I also attend uh, Florence Church of the Nazarene. Oh, well, let me tell you why you want to stop that. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And all this is and, and, and thus it began. And it, then it began my understand my desire to understand the differences between why are all these people, you know, saying so many negative things? Why why can't they see what I see? I see. I see the same God and the same, I, I see the same. I, I, in the Catholic Church, I see, the, the God that I am, I am experiencing in the Catholic Church is the same God that I am experiencing in the 
Nazarene church. It's the same God I'm experiencing at this Baptist church. It's the same God I'm experiencing in this Methodist church. It's the same God I'm experiencing in this Lutheran church. It's the same. I see it as the same God. And they said, no, let me tell you how we're all different. Let me tell you. And that's the one thing that I never resonated with. Let me tell you how we are different from them. And I'm like, let me tell you about this scripture where it talks about Jesus praying, Father, I pray that they would all be one as you and I are one. And they had no, they couldn't understand my hesitation to see all these differences. And I fought it for the longest time. And I continued to have all of these varied experiences. Now, there were times when, there was this time when I was probably eight, nine years old. I went down to Alabama with my aunt and my cousins. And during that experience, I was introduced to the concept for the very first time of burning in hell for eternity if you don't get this right. See, as I, as I told you, I listened very closely. And up till this point, I'd not yet been fully introduced to burning in hell for eternity. And they, there was this preacher, and he says, listen closely, your life depends on this. Uh, and, and he began to speak to me about, basically, as a, just imagine me as an eight-year-old kid, he says, if you die tonight and are not saved, and if you have not done these things, which I said, okay, I haven't done those things, so therefore I must not be saved by this person's declaration. If you are not saved, here's what will happen if you die tonight. You will instantly be transported into, and then all I could imagine is my physical body burning in eternal in eternity with molten lava and that molten lava would be raining from the sky above and that I would be in that anguish for all eternity and there will and it will never end and that is just the beginning of the pain and the suffering for which I will experience if I don't do and then you fill in the blank and that was come up here, confess Jesus is your Lord, say these things, and then, and whatever. All I know is that this scared me like nothing else. That afternoon, we went to the beach, and I, I, I like, I have no interest in the beach. I have no interest in playing. All joy in my life had vanished. I, I just need to know, how is this true? So I asked someone, and, I, and I, she, she said, well, why don't you just go up and talk to the pastor next week and get it all taken care of? And I'm like, well, what if I die before then? You don't understand. This concerns me. Again, think of me. I'm eight or nine years old. So the longest <laughs> week of my life, son, the very next Sunday, I wait, I'm impatiently waiting for that end, the altar call, and I beeline it straight up to the front, and I said, hey, I, I need to know, how do I get saved? 
And they said, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, the only Son of God? Yes, I do. Great. Do you believe that you were a sinner, eternal, you know, separated from God, and that you have no help, hope for salvation in and of yourself? Yes, I believe that. Uh, and okay, great. Do you accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I do. Do you believe that He rose again? Yes, I do. Great. Do you accept that gift and payment for your sins in full? Yes. Okay. Because of your confession, you are now saved. And 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 that was it. I was saved. I, I it's like wow. I I feel amazing. So the psychological torment torment that took place for an entire week was was now alleviated. And then thus began a little bit of a conflict in my mind about my Protestant upbringing and my Catholic upbringing. And again, not coming from my parents, but coming from my own experiences, my own journey, my own path through life. To say that, you know, as I, as I get a little bit older, into my early, like my tween years and then my early teen years, I, I by the way, I went to Catholic school all the way until uh, seventh grade. In eighth grade, I moved over to a Protestant, or I'm sorry, a public school system again. We had moved. And I told my mom I didn't, they, they were saying, hey, do you want to finish out your school in the Catholic school? I said, do I have an option? And they said, yes, you have an option. I said, I'd very much like to leave the Catholic school. I was, again, I was being bullied. And it, it was a persistent thing. So I, I left the Catholic side of things. Now, with this being said, my biological dad and that side of his family were all Catholic. And my great aunt and all of my second cousins and, and stuff like that, they're all devout Catholics. And I want to tell you that these people are absolutely the most loving, caring, ge- genuine people. And again, such a great example for me of why I love and respect the Catholic faith. But here I am as a teenager attending certain Pentecostal churches and also Southern Baptist churches. And I, I'm all over bouncing from here to there. And I'm surprised at how many times I hear people preaching against the Catholic faith, as though, matter of fact, one Sunday morning or one seven sermon series on Revelation by Doctor Gosh Chuck, what was his name, Wagner, from Calvary Baptist Church, which was my mom's childhood Baptist church, by the way. Uh, but Dr. Charles Wagner preached a seven-part series on Revelation, and in one of those sermons, he taught that the Catholic Church will give rise to the Antichrist in the end times. And I'm like, but you know what? I began at this point to start really being swayed. I, I'd, I'd been in, I got to the place where I was being indoctrinated so much, and so much of what I've, I'm being taught and what I'm soaking up is coming from this pro- Protestant background. And then in the Pentecostal church, it was even amplified even more. It became more and more fundamentalist and more and more evangelical. And I started to adopt a lot of that stuff. Now, when I was, I don't know, 18 years old, something like that, 
I started dating this girl, and she was attending a Nazarene Bible study. Now, if you have picked up a theme on Nazarene, there it is again. And I was dating her at the time, and she, and I went to this young adult Bible study group that was meeting every Tuesday night, and it was young adults just like me. They, they were anywhere between the ages of 16 all the way up to, let's just say, 22, 25 years old. And it was led by this man named Greg Sizemore. And it was just the most amazing experience. It's like, oh my gosh, I never knew there was anyone my age who was as genuinely interested in the relationship with God as I am. And we had nothing but open dialogue, very frank discussion about what we believe and what we're experiencing. And of course, at this point, I'm very indoctrinated from the Protestant fundamentalist evangelical side of things. When I'm reading scriptures, I'm interpreting them through a specific lens. They're all coming from a very similar lens, but some of them having different backgrounds. And we had just the most amazing dialogue, but we all loved one another. It was amazing. Eventually, I started attending the Nazarene church that was a part of that and its sister church. And eventually, things went on for long enough that this girl that I was seeing at the time asked me if I'd meet her parents. And so I went over for dinner, and they basically interrogated me and said, Cliff, tell me about your faith. How, how, when did you become a Christian? And so I, at the time, remember telling them that I started in Catholic school. I you know, went to these things, and I talked about the fact that I was in, uh, in this Pentecostal church went every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and blah, 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 blah. And they continued to ask me questions, and they didn't like the answers that I gave, evidently, because when I got home, the girl that I was dating at the time says, I have to break up with you. And I said, why is that? And she goes, well, my mom and dad won't let me date someone who's not a Christian, and they're, they they feel that that's the case with you, and so I have to break up with you. And and I only, and she says, and for me, I only want to date someone who's a Christian. I would imagine it probably now looking back, and this is the first time I'm actually thinking about this from this perspective, she's probably, because re, re, I, I can't imagine anything in the conversation with her mom and dad that that called into question, but she may have related some of the questions and some of the theological stances I may have made in certain conversations in that Bible study group. And and maybe that's where some of those questions came from that they didn't like the answers to. So anyway, all I know is that I, while momentarily I was stung with the loss of this relationship with this girl, but all of a sudden I was imme- that was Im- instantly replaced with the fear of burning in hell once again. And eventually, and ev- I mean, it's like I was eight years old or nine years old all over again. And now I'm imagining myself if I died this night. This was December 9th, 1991. I remember it like it was yesterday. If I die right now, there I'm being told that I might be burning in that pit of lava for the all eternity. And the raining lava from from whatever. It's like, oh my gosh. So I called somebody who was leading a Bible study group at the time, or a Sunday school class at the time at this Nazarene church. And I asked him for some advice. He says, well, hey, let me tell you about the four spiritual laws, which is very similar to something called the Roman road. It's a track. And he walked me through it line by line. And he says, Cliff, do you believe this? And I said, yes. And I, and I mean it this time. 
He goes, well, if you truly mean it, this is what it looks like for you to be a good Christian. Now, he didn't say those words, but in essence, this is what was being said. And at that point, I was introduced to, if you want to have a good relationship with God and stay, and he didn't say stay saved by any stretch of the imagination, but if you want to have a good relationship with God, you need to go to church regularly, you need to read your Bible daily, and you need to do these things and avoid these things. And I began to go all in on this. I became a religious zealot. I became a self-righteous, judgmental, fundamentalist, evangelical Christian. Not that every fundamentalist, evangelical Christian is this way, but I became the worst of the worst. And I was praised for it, quite frankly. I eventually uh, left that church because of one small mistake that I made, and I felt so guilty about it, I didn't want to tell anybody, and so I left the church and, and, and left everything, just dropped it all, thought God hated me, why bother at this point? And then I ended up going to college, got into all sorts of really weird stuff in college, alcohol, smoking pot, all of the all of the things. And, you know, through it all, I, I still felt this call towards my relationship with God. In fact, I, I, you know, in a sense, I still felt that I had this relationship with God. But there was this part of me that says, no, God hates you, and you can't go to church, and you can't do this, and you're never going to be accepted. Because, and, but it was all the stuff that I had been taught that was telling me that I was separated from God. But somewhere deep within myself, I knew that I had never been separated from God, not even that week when I was eight or nine years old, that it's that I and God have always been in union. But it's only in hindsight that I know all of this for the experience of what I know today. Well, eventually I began uh, dating this girl named Stephanie, who is now my wife. She was attending an Assembly of God church at the time. And I never forget the first time I went to church with her. I thought for sure the building was going to collapse on top of me. That lightning was going to strike me from the sky. But I'll tell you what. I went in there and just, because of course my mind was conditioned from childhood to believe that when you are in a place devoted to worship of God, that that is a separate special place. And so when I went there, I allowed myself to drop the resistance of my connection with God. And just during that service, during the worship of that service, I just felt overwhelmed and in awe of God. I believe tears may have ran down the side of my face and I am just like it, it's just I'm I'm transport I'm, it's like I'm not even there crazy thing happened after this service this gentleman comes up to me and says hi my name is I think his name is Bill Grimm he says my name is Bill and I play and, and he I could recognize he was playing the bass guitar up on stage and he said, you're going to think I'm crazy 
because I have a message from God for you. And I'm like, okay, I've heard this kind of thing before. And I was very skeptical. And yes, I did think he was crazy. He says, um, I know I saw you standing next to Stephanie, so I assume that you're Stephanie's boyfriend that she's been talking about. But anyway, that's not what I have anything to say about. God wanted me to give you a message. I was up on stage playing during worship, and God spoke to me and told and told me to look at you and confirmed it was you. And he says, after the service, you need to go and talk to him and tell him this. So I have this message from, from God for you. And he says, you're going to be in full-time ministry one day. And you will minister to tens of thousands of people. And I said, huh, interesting. Now, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, he's definitely mixed the wires. He it must have been the person behind me. If he only knew what I've been up to the last couple of years and all this other stuff and just where I am today, this is this is crazy. Well, I don't think he was crazy today, and I do believe that God put it on his heart to share that message. Couple months later, Stephanie and I are getting ready to get engaged, but I told her, I said, listen, I, I'm convinced, and I've been conditioned to believe, that I can't be a good man and a husband without having my relationship with God, and I've been conditioned to believe that looks a certain way. And so I said, I want to I want to devote my life back to the things of God. I want to get back into leading a small group Bible study, kind of like what I was a part of. And, and that's where EOTC began. See to it, brothers, that none of you has an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it, has, it is today. Uh, for we have come together, if we hold firmly, till the end, the confidence that we had at first. Anyway, that's, I think it's Hebrews 3, 9 through 12. Anyway, it might be Hebrews 4. It's been a long time since I've looked it up. But EOTC, encourage others through Christ. That stood out on my heart, and that began a new path. And it became the path that, in essence, kind of continued this spiritual journey that I've been on. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stop here for just a moment. This is going to be part one, but I'm looking at the time. This is already 54 minutes in length, and I have a coaching call that I'm going to do in 18 minutes or 17 minutes from now, but I will come back and record part two of this conversation and share with you a little bit more about my journey, and then I'll explain to you where this podcast began in that next part of the journey, and maybe even a little bit about how it began to evolve and transform as of 2020. So there are a couple of very important things that I wanted to share as the foundation of this podcast if you are going to listen to this entire episode or this entire show. And by the way, and if you're not, no big deal. Uh, In the next part, I will tell you where you should pick up and start from if you want to just listen to this episode and then go to kind of where things are more aligned with at least what I'm experiencing in June of 2023. All right, I'll be back in a bit. Well, welcome to part two of this episode. And I have a whole list of things that I want to share in this second part. The first one 
was completely off the top of my head. Certainly, this is not an all-inclusive story of everything that I've had and experienced in my spiritual journey. Who knows, maybe one day I'll write a memoir. But this is, believe it or not, something that I feel is necessary for at least an overall view of who I am and what is this podcast, how did it come about, and all this good stuff. So, with that being said, let's see if I can pick up where we left off before my coaching call. Let's see here, EOTC Bible Study Group. So Stephanie and I are now engaged. We're planning our wedding. This would have been in 1995 when I started this small group Bible study for young adults. It, I decided that I wanted to recreate the environment that I entered into when, back in 1991 that Nazarene Bible study group of young adults where everybody just came in and it just, we were all committed to having this relationship with God and exploring what does that mean. And lots of us had various different ideas of what that looked like. We were reading scriptures and we were debating on how that applied to our lives, but in a place of openness and respect and honesty and just love and I wanted to create that. And of course, at the time, I was conditioned to believe that I needed a lot of discipline in my life. I needed accountability for others. I needed other people to, you know, the the fear of letting other people down to motivate me to stay on whatever path. <laughs> Looking back, I see how much, you know, was involved in the whole process. But it, one thing I want you to hear is that I'm incredibly thankful for the awesome journey I've been on through this life and all of the experiences. While back in the days I might have questioned the awesomeness of them, I may have questioned, you know, whether or not the intentions of people were off and and I may have had grievances and pain and all sorts of hurt feelings and maybe even bits of trauma. I've since healed from every single bit of that, and I recognize how everything I've experienced in my life has been perfect to bring me to where I am today. Not that I, as Cliff Ravenscraft ego, is perfect, but bringing me to an awareness that I am not my ego. I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. I'm not my experiences. I'm not any of these things. I am a divine spiritual being having a human experience, but we're not there yet. So EOTC Bible study group. Interesting thing, when Stephanie and I joined this, she was attending this Assembly of God church and I attended there several weeks. It wasn't necessarily what I felt in my mind at the time was the right flavor of of experience for what I wanted to create. And so I went to the church where Stephanie and I were planning on getting married. We were planning on getting married at this place called Bulletsburg Baptist Church in Petersburg, Kentucky. And that happened to be a church that was very much a part of my teen years when we moved out into the country. This church was down the road, and I was that kid who rode his bike to church every Sunday and attended Sunday school classes there and all this other stuff. And the funny thing is, is I'll never forget the the pastor says, well, have you been baptized in the Baptist church? And I said, well, no, I have not been baptized in the Baptist church, but I've been baptized. And he says, well, you can't, you can't do anything here unless you're baptized in the Baptist church. 
and it has to be, you know, a very specific way. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And I said, well, let's just say if I were to get baptized in the Baptist church, would I be able to host this small group Bible study? Well, we'd have to learn a lot about you, you know, and all this other stuff. And I said, so what you're saying is that you're not willing us to use your sanctuary to house a group of young adults who want to sit down and open up the Bible and talk about how it applies to their life and what they're what they're trying to to discern is is what it means to have a relationship with God. And they said, well, we're not saying that we don't want you to have that, but we're not comfortable giving you that space without knowing you that well. And I said, okay, no worries. So we started looking elsewhere, and I went to the Nazarene church that I was once a part of, and it just seemed like one door was closed after another. Interestingly enough, though, there was one door that was still open, and I didn't tell you this part of the story, but when I left the Nazarene church, it was a third sister church to the the church that I was introduced to these small group Bible studies. So I told you that there was this one church, it was called Central Church of the Nazarene. That's where we had these young adult Bible study meetings on Tuesday nights that just literally changed my experience of relationship with God in community community with other people. And then there was the sister church where I was going to that Sunday school class and and had uh, that conversation with the gentleman that took me through the four spiritual laws. Anyway, that was Covington First Church of the Nazarene. There was another sister church that's just a couple more miles away, and it was called Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene. And the pastor of that church was Keith Rainey, very young guy, and he took me under his wings. And so I, I started there and he saw how on fire I was. And I was given the opportunity. He says, Cliff, I definitely see your passion. I definitely see this in you. Would you like to lead a Sunday school class for young adults here in our, in our church? And there was a little school down the road. And what happened was at this time I was dating a new girl and, and, the interesting thing is through this process of dating her and she had previously had a child and and all this other stuff and here I'm 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 dating this girl her there's some family connections there and um and now all of a sudden I am living this life that is quote unquote holiness unto the Lord and perfection and sanctification and these are the things that I'm going after and I'm now on fire and passionate about teaching these other young adults about how to live this pure life and, and all this stuff. Meanwhile, in this new relationship and having temptations and, and all this stuff. And not that I'm embarrassed about it, but actually end up having sexual relations with her in the process of having this relationship after having already been invited to lead a Sunday school class for young adults and teach people how to live a godly life. And when it came time for me to experience or to to lead that first class, there were, I think, probably about 25, 30 people sitting in this school classroom waiting for me to come in and teach. And the close with every, I, I parked in the parking lot and with every step I got closer to that classroom, my heart was just sinking. It was just like, this is wrong. This is, I can't do this. I was so overcome with guilt and shame 
because you know I wasn't living that perfect, sin-free, holy life, and and I had messed up, and obviously God's upset with me now. I just had this anxiety about what was going on in my personal life, and here I am. Who am I to get here and stand in front of these people and and encourage them to live a holy, blameless life and be, and before God and to make that is pleasing and all this other stuff when I am in this relationship. So I felt so guilty, so ashamed. I looked into the classroom. I saw the group of young adults and I ran. I'm not kidding you. I, I literally ran. I left the building. I didn't run out of the building, but I, but I left the building, got in my car, drove away. And after probably about a year and a half of bouncing in between the, you know, going back and forth in between Central Church of the Nazarene, First Church of the Nazarene, and then Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene, and ultimately being asked to take on a leadership position in the Church of the Nazarene. And again, this is back in 1992 uh, time frame. By this time, I, I'm, I'm now dating this different girl that I met through these Bible study group experiences, and I'm having this relationship that is so opposed to what these teachings are, and, and it, just, it just was eating me up. And this pastor, Keith Rainey, gave me so much of an opportunity in this space, and I literally walked out on him. And I walked out on that group, and I never spoke to anyone in any of those church, in any of those churches, none of those three churches. In fact, I didn't speak to anybody from any church from that point forward. So this was sometime in the summer of probably 1992, and I and I'm out. And that's when I went off to college after I graduated in 1992, and and I went and lived a a pretty crazy lifestyle for a couple of years. And then I met Stephanie, and I, like I said, this EOTC Bible study. We're getting ready to launch this thing. It's now 1995. So that's uh, let's see, let's see here, 92, 93, 94, 95. So three years later, nobody has seen me, nobody has heard from me, and I, I have, every door is shut, and there's one last place I can think to call, and who do I call? I call Keith Rainey, the pastor of that church, the pastor who gave me this leadership opportunity, and where I totally dropped the ball and bailed and and left and absolutely gave no excuse whatsoever as to what happened. And so I called him. I was as nervous as all get out. And I said, hey, do you know who this is? And she says, it sounds like it's Cliff Ravenscraft. And I said, yeah. I said, is there any chance that I could meet with you? I want to talk to you about some things. And he said, sure, let's 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 schedule a time. And we did. And I shared with him everything that had happened. And I was blown away by his grace his mercy, his his understanding, his appreciation for my authenticity and transparency. And to know now that I could have experienced all of that back then, <laughs> and I didn't have to live under all the guilt and shame and all this other stuff, but it, it was it was built up pretty bad. And, and it had a lot to do with just things that I had picked up along the way. And not just from the Nazarene church, it's, it's in a lot of different denominations. And so anyway... I so I I'm now my Stephanie and I are now engaged and now we are approved for a location. We can host our EOTC Bible study groups on Saturday nights 
in the sanctuary of Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene. And so that is exactly what we started doing. And then we got married in August of 1996. And shortly after that, I felt man, I I really feel like I want to devote my life to being an encouragement to others in their relationship with God. That's really how I would define it. That was what I felt. I went and talked to my pastor about it. He invited me to come before the church board, have a bunch of questions. They asked me tons of questions, and they all agreed. Cliff, we do believe you're called to be a full-time ministry, and we think that you should go down the path of the elder, and that ultimately we see you being a pastor one day in the Nazarene Church. And of course, it spoke to my ego at the time, and and you know, it's like, oh, wow, that sounds so prestigious and, and all this other stuff. And it's only looking back that I see how it was speaking into my ego personality, but it also spoke to my calling as well. So with great earnesty, I began doing all the things that were necessary for me to get licensed as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And so for the next several years, I was going through Nazarene Bible College through distance learning. And it's in there that I began to learn about the different theological streams, if you will, the the Protestant Reformation, the... Wesleyan-Arminian line of theology, Calvinist line of theology, and all this other stuff. And it, quite frankly, it got me to the place where it's like, wait a second. So this seems to remind me of all those things where I'm being told how I'm different from everyone else and how everyone else slightly has it wrong and how we have discerned that we have it right. Now, at this point, I have to embrace... I think it's called cognitive dissonance. I don't agree with this. This doesn't sit well with me, but I recognize that for me to be able to do what I feel God is maybe calling me to do, which is to pursue full-time ministry, I'm being told by you that means it that I get this licensing, and for me to get this licensing, I have to read these books that teach things that don't seem to really resonate with what I read from the teachings of Jesus. And I think it's got some pretty out there, out of date interpretations of how our culture is. And it just seems to me like there's just some things that don't fit. There are statements and and scriptural references that nobody seems to have any answer for. And they don't like when I ask the questions. And so I learned to stop questioning and just be quiet about my concerns about their doctrine and I'm told that the only way that I can move forward is if I just agree with their stuff. And, well, of course, I agreed with their stuff. I mean, what the heck, right? Somewhere along the lines, um, I I just found, and, and it's only in hindsight, it's only many years later that I discovered that I had lost my focus on this relationship with God. And at some point during these next 10, 15 years of my life, I began focused in, to be focused instead on a moral code of conduct, a relationship with information about God, and a relationship with the institution of the church. So performance-based Christianity, am I doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things? Uh, the institution, am I showing up consistently? Am I volunteering and helping and supporting the institution in all that it stands for? 
And number three, information about God. Am I memorizing and studying and in, in involving myself enough in the scriptures? And I did very zealously. And I became and I and I was actually concerned for myself about how self-righteous I was being. It's like, well, how many times you know you're experiencing a problem? Oh, when was the last time you sat down and read the scriptures? How much time are you spending in your and and I remember asking people questions and having them understand that you know because I'd had this done to me. Anyway, eventually there was some sort of church politics. I won't go into any details there, but I was associate pastor of the church at this point. I was a licensed minister. I had been preaching. I had been performing weddings in this church and and eventually something happened and my wife and I decided to leave Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene. Looking back, I I have no qualms or no hard feelings for anyone there. I mean, I understand why everything happened. Knowing what I know today about just how we as humans work and operate and what our belief systems are and just, you know, we're all doing the best we can with what we have to work with. And I genuinely know that people truly loved us and wanted what they thought was best for us with what they believed was best for us but uh, and and for others but the the way that things were handled not just for this wasn't with us by the way the the situation was primarily the way somebody else was treated and what was said about them and in in a way that was not in alignment with anything uh that that would even remotely uh be related to the way that that the that Jesus' teaching says we ought to interact with one another, or or even the New Testament. So, again, I I had some pretty hard feelings at the time. Probably held on to them for a couple of years. Today, I I totally understand it. Eventually, uh, so we we started. Uh, actually, <laughs> I almost forgot this. I don't even have this in here. My wife and I and our best friend and my best friend at the time, we started our own church. We did. As a matter of fact, it was called the EOTC Church. And we even were in the process of creating our bylaws and all of this other stuff. And of course, we did our theological, what do we believe statement and, and all these things. And we started meeting as just a small group in our home. And then we were like, you know, we really miss worship for because we had been conditioned that that's a part of church life. And we started to commute to this church down in Lexington, Kentucky called, I think it's called Southeast or something like that, big mega church down there. And then we had heard that there was a church that had a similar style worship service up here called First Church of Christ right down the road from us. And we started attending there. And then we heard about this small group um, program for young adults. And it seemed to be all focused on small groups. And I'm like, well, gosh, why don't we just put our efforts here? And so we did start attending those small groups. It didn't take long for people to see my love for small groups, and I had a lot of history in the prior experience with what's called the Cell Church Movement. I had uh, been connected to Dr. Paul Young Yi Cho. There's an episode where I interview him. Actually, not Paul Young Yi Cho, but um, oh gosh, who was it? Um, anyway, in the the earliest archives of this podcast has one interview with with somebody that Ralph W. Neighbor Jr. That's it. And anyway, so I was very heavily into the cell church movement. And when I had all of this experience, they're like, why don't you become our small groups pastor here in this large, you know, somewhat medium size, I guess, 
mega church here in northern Kentucky. And so, of course, again, I, I looking back, I see how much that spoke into my egos and all this other ego personality. And I love that position. And I began to start seeing the politics even there. And the other thing that happened was I was starting to podcast by December 2005. And my wife and I are creating content that is reaching, get this, tens of thousands of people around the world. Actually, eventually, we're reaching well over 100,000 and ultimately hundreds of thousands of people around the world. But... Tens of thousands, Cliff, you'll be doing full-time ministry for tens of thousands of people. If that sounds familiar, it's a recurring theme that co- that comes up from time to time in my in my story. Anyway, so I start podcasting, and eventually I get to this place where I feel called to do podcasting full-time, And but before then, I had this issue where I'm podcasting about 20 to 30 hours a week, and I'm not just creating content, I'm interacting with a large community of people. But then I also am working my insurance office work, insurance agency work, and I'm doing this associate pastor stuff on the side, and I'm not getting paid at First Church at all. It was completely voluntary. I was making plenty of money in my insurance work, so it's not a big deal. But they wanted to have me become a deacon within the First Church of, of Christ, and I'm like, I, I, if anything, maybe I could I'd join the church board and be an elder. They said, well, that's not how we do it here. You have to be a deacon for at least two years, then you promote it to elder. And I said, well, what's involved in being a deacon? Well, you have to attend every church service. There were five at the time, five services every weekend. Uh, once a month, you need, you know, during the winter months, you need to come and help scrape and shovel the snow and all this stuff. You need to deliver communion to shut-ins. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way that fits into my schedule. And they said, Cliff, we really need your vote on the church board for our ministry. You know, we, we've got some things we want to push through, some changes. And this is essentially the exact language that's being used. And I'm like, seriously, guys, this is not... I, I've got all of this stuff that I'm doing with my podcast. And then they started to question my podcasting. I actually quit podcasting as a result of their questioning it, and I I quit for one week podcasting, and it literally was the most depressing week of my life. After one week, I finally decided, okay, something's got to go. So I started podcasting again, and then I went to the church and said, listen, I'm, I'm done. I'm stepping down. And in fact, if we go here and we look at episode one of this podcast, I was at First Church of Christ then. It was, by the way, the podcast started eventually called Generally Speaking About the Church. So G-S-A-T-C, or it was the About the Church podcast, but it was about generally speaking about the church. Because at the time, I had an incredibly powerful relationship with the institution known as the church. All right, and, and in fact, I'm convinced that my relationship with the church was much more important to me than my relationship with God at that point, though I did not know it. Episode number two of this podcast is an incredibly horrible sermon that, that I can't believe is in, actually in here. Episode number two, terrible sermon, one of the, I, it was the, I think probably the only time I was ever offered the opportunity to preach at that church and it it was a terrible sermon it's it looks i'm looking at it it's 37 minutes and 52 seconds so that's episode 2 of this podcast 
and it is horrible. So just know that if you're going to listen to this, that's horrible. And the things that I said in that epi- in that sermon, it's I was actually even further convinced or further led down a fundamentalist view, very heavily evangelical, and, and and stuff like that. As a result of a book that I was required to read and then lead all of our small groups through from our pastor at the time, and it was his uncle who had read written this book. This book today, I, I tell you, it was, it was, ugh. Uh, that's, that's the way that I would describe it today. Anyway, I'm looking through here. July of 2006, there's What is a Cell Church? I, I probably loved that. I see that episode number uh, four was my interview with Dr. Ralph W. Neighbor. By the way, these early episodes, the audio quality is going to be terrible because I was brand new to podcasting. I was still in the first six to eight, nine months of podcasting, and I didn't understand what I understand today about audio quality. And that was a telephone interview with Dr. Ralph W. Neighbor. It was it was terrible audio quality. But anyway, he was a celebrity in the cell church movement, so it, it was a huge honor at the time. And then I was doing a podcast called Almost Daily Devotional, and I eventually began to bring those episodes into, I shut down the Almost Daily Devotional, but I have my devotional thoughts. So you will get to hear my unrehearsed, unedited, off the, off the cuff thoughts, devotional thoughts based upon my evangelical fundamentalist indoctrinated, conditioned way of believing mind. And that's what you're going to hear in those first uh, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 episodes. And then you get to the mighty tongue and sharing our faith. And then it's November 2006. That's when the whole questioning about my podcasting journey began. And it was right about then that I decided to leave that church. Um, and, and so, or at least I was introduced to the idea of it, but, uh, yeah, actually, no, I can tell it was definitely right about then. So there is a five part series titled why I hate the church, not the church, capital C H U R C H, but why I hate the institution, why I hate the institution of the church five-part series, and I was reading a book that talked about other people who are Christians who are living outside of the institution. I can't remember the name of it, at the, but I'm sure that if you listen to that five-part series, it's episodes 14 through 18. And I know that, uh, it, you know, th- th- this whole thing finally came to a culmination uh, right around that November 2006 time frame, because by December 2006, I'm already, actually by April 2007, I'm already into a different church. We're, we've moved on to what was called Watermark Community Church. It was a little church started by the former uh, worship pastor of First Church, dear friend of mine, knew him all the way back in high school. I love him. His name is Chad Cadell. And absolutely thought, maybe this is the place. And so um, he, I, I was producing their sermons and stuff like that for a podcast for them. He did a series called Religion Bites, and I see that that's uh, episode 19, 20, 21. And then let me go and see if I can't find 
yeah, so it's their sermon. So basically, they're, I, I, sh- I put in a couple of watermark sermons there. In fact, I, I was doing a lot of watermark sermons. I thought those were so great. Chad Cadell is an incredibly powerful communicator, and I just loved so many of his sermons that I, I, I put them in here. So um, then there was Church in a Box, Church Podcasting, Official Relaunch, happened with episode 39. So uh, episode 31, and it looks like by May of 2028, we're starting to take this in a new direction. And that may have been when I started bringing in my uh, my favorite, my my friend at the time, DJ DG Hollams. And we started to get involved in, in recording about the church, our conversations about... How, about the church, and I see things in here like high versus low church worship. I know that was a DJ DG Hollum's uh, re- recommended thing. Wives submiss- submitting to husbands, episode thirty four. Uh, daily time with God, uh, episode thirty five. We are sorry, episode thirty six. Social justice will have definitely been a DG Hollum's topic, episode thirty seven. More on submission, episode thirty eight. And at this point. Uh, oh, I didn't even know this one. Gosh, episode 40, Speaking in Tongues. Wow. I may want to go back and listen to that, especially given one of the newer episodes. Then there's Judging Others, part one, two, and three. So uh, at this point, I'm doing this show pretty consistently with my friend D.G. Hollams. I, I, I happen to know that. And that went, in, that went on for quite some time. Yeah. It went on for quite some time and probably makes up a majority of the content here. Thoughts on foul language. Do all religions lead to God? I wonder what episode 88 says. But here's what I know. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that that probably... Uh, actually, you know what? I want to... What did I say? Episode 40... Okay, so what I just did is I have gone in and unarchived episode 40, which was speaking in tongues, and I've unarchived episode 88, Do All Religions Lead to God? Because today, I would say, I believe that, you know, pretty much any path could lead to God, and not just through Jesus. And and that, of course, is going to come up in a little bit, an explanation of how I got to there. So yeah, there there's a lot of there's a lot of history in this podcast of my old beliefs. But let me explain to you that something happened at episode 121. So if we look at episode 120, the show is still called About the Church at that time. At this at and in that episode, I brought in my friend Robert, who was sharing his experiences with a new Bible reading plan. And then there's no episode for nine months. And I came back in episode 121, still titled About the Church, and that episode was titled Not Going to Church Anymore. Not Going to Church Anymore. That was in September 2011. My wife and I left Watermark Community Church. There was a situation that... Uh, and it had nothing to do with Chad Cadell. There was some of the most incredibly loving people that are a part of the the church that we were a part of. It was probably one of the best community experiences that we had had. 
but there there were some there were some constraints that were happening due to the size of the church, and there were some people who wanted the church to go in this direction, some who wanted to go in that direction, and there was a lot of things where there was there were it, it got to be where people were over obligated and under committed, and those of us who were leaders of small group Bible studies were requested and was bordering on required to make a commitment to fulfill all of the commitments of the church to voluntary services, setting up, tearing down, uh, participating in this outreach program and another outreach program. We were required to organize those and have our members come. And if somebody, our members of our small groups come and fulfill those volunteer spots we were required to find childcare for some of them because it wasn't appropriate for kids to be around some of the things that we were asked to be a part of. And and all of this, while at this point, I'm now full-time self-employed and working around the clock, and I'm like, no, I, I can't do this. And, and there was somebody who sat down and said, listen, I don't care what you say. If you can't support this, then you're not a good Christian. And I said, okay, is that, are you, it, so you're saying there's no way that I can continue to be a leader of a small group in this church if I don't agree to do this thing that you're saying? And he says, yes. I said, okay. My wife and I have considered this. We've already come to the, the feeling that that might be the case, and we've already made our decision and we know in advance, we just want to let you know, we resign right now and our family is leaving. And we left. I Now, again, there might have been some animosity for a little while, some hurt feelings. All of that completely healed over. In fact, the, the person who said those words to us, I, I don't know what my wife would think of that person today, but I so love and appreciate and respect where that person is, where he was in his position, how he came to his beliefs, why he would defend what he was defending. I I so understand it. I don't agree with it, but I appreciate it and I understand it. And knowing what I know today, I could have left on such better terms, but I wasn't in a I wasn't in a healed place for me to be able to do that at the time. But we did leave. And so uh like I said, episode 121 of this podcast used to be called about the church, was titled, Not Going to Church Anymore. So that's episode 121. All right, then from there, uh, this podcast was continued to call, it was called the um, About the Church podcast for just three more episodes. Episode 122, How to Win at Life with Money. That would have been my conversation or probably a republishing of something with my friend David Foster, a man who really helped me through navigating my relationship with God outside of the institution. In fact, it was a podcast episode by David Foster. He had written a book called Renegade's Guide to God, and he had a podcast at the time called Renegade's Guide to God. And in one of those episodes, he said, you know, a lot of people feel like that they have a relationship with God, but they don't. Instead, they have a relationship with one or more of these three things. They have a relationship with a moral code of conduct. They have a relationship with the institution of the church. They have, or they, and or they have a relationship with knowledge about God. They study the Bible all of the time, incessantly, obsessively even. And so, 
um, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. And I never forget. I reached out to him, sent him an email. I said, I just got back from a walk. I just listened to this. And then I don't necessarily know. Sometimes I question these days because I'm so burned out and I'm so frustrated, but I'm questioning whether or not I even have a relationship with God anymore. He and I got on a phone call and in our relationship just blossomed. It just the most amazing conversations that I had with him. Uh, this from 20, 20, 2011 to 2015, I call these the God journey years. You see, I wouldn't have been able to leave the church had I not been introduced to this book called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore by Wayne Jacobson. And I read that book. It was it, It's like, okay, this right here, this is the second time I'm hearing about all of these people all over the world who have an incredibly powerful relationship with God but aren't involved in performance-based Christianity and are not involved in the institution. And so I I left the church as a result of that, and I started listening to Wayne, Jacob, Ray, Wayne Jacobson's podcast called The God Journey. And I listened to probably hundreds of episodes of that podcast. And that's why I know some people will likely go through and start with episode one here and work their way through and see this incredible transformation of my own journey. There's a part of me that wanted to maybe just delete all these archives and just start with something fresh and new. But I recognize the value of you seeing just how hardcore of a fundamentalist evangelical upbringing that I came from. So anyway, it's the God journey years. Some powerful things happened in my relationship with David Foster. A couple years into our relationship, he passed away suddenly one night and I'll never forget, I was so upset, and I prayed to God. I said, God, he was my number one cheerleader. Now what am I supposed to do? And I am able to joke and say, you know, God basically spoke to me, and he said, duh. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just lean in on me? How about I be your cheerleader? And he's like, oh, yes. And, you know, just the most amazing things happened out of that relationship. I'm so thankful for my relationship with David Foster and my relationship with uh, Wayne Jacobson. In fact, uh, I began to invite him into conversation. So episode 130, 123 is the parable of the incredibly loving father. I heard about that from Wayne Jacobson. That may even be a conversation with him. I'm not sure. Episode 124 is an is a conversation with David Foster, probably terrible audio quality, uh, but still it's there. Episode 125 was the first time I changed the name of the podcast because I had given up on the institution and I decided to embrace Christ. I have a relationship with Christ again, returning to my first love, if you will. And so episode 125 is EOTC, Encouraging Others Through Christ. And that's where I describe what encouraging others through Christ is and why I'm changing the name of the podcast. Episode 126, A Conversation with Wake Jacobson. So actually, that would have been my first conversation with him. And then, He Redeemed My Mind to Think Big. And then, Is God More Real Than Your Bank Account? Some of these were probably conversations with and, and content around my relationship with David Foster. And then episode 130, this was July 2012, remembering David Foster. Quite frankly, that, that episode, I, I do know, is not probably the best produced show at all. He was a such an incredibly meaningful person in my life, and I was probably just, I was still in so much shock 
at, at the time. So anyway, episode 130, Remembering David Foster. And then episode 131, Three Free Sins, Steve Brown. And there's an entire story about that that I'm not going to go into here. It's kind of alluded to in that episode. If you want, it's probably a very, it's probably one of the most powerful, one of my favorite episodes. I'm now going to go into my app to unarchive that and download that for later listening uh, because it's, it is one of my favorite episodes. Then there's Faith Still Going Strong one year later. So one year after leaving the institution, I did an update. And then the next month, I put Finding Church with Wayne Jacobson, talking about a new book. It was an incredibly powerful book. But there's, a, there's literally a six-year gap between episodes 134 and 135. So 134, Feeling Called Back to Scriptures, and that's probably with Wayne Jacobson again, was in September 2015. And then... I go radio silent for six years, and a lot happened during that six-year gap. Now, again, since 2011, I've been completely free from institutionalized Christianity and performance-based Christianity. I will tell you that for a good portion of that, I still was releasing some of my hurt feelings and feeling of victimhood and and trauma, and all that other stuff, all of that completely healed. I don't don't regret anything that has ever been done or said or anything whatsoever, and I fully, genuinely appreciate every experience I've ever had in all faith traditions I've ever been a part of. What I will say is that while I no longer was a part of the institutionalized Christianity, like if you were to ask me, where do you go to church? The answer is right here with you. Uh, I, you know, I believe that the church is the body of of Christ, and so the, it's the people. Wherever two or more gathered in His name, He's there in the midst. So uh, let, let's be the church together. I, but it, if you're asking me, do I go to a weekly congregational gathering? I've not done that since 2011 on a regular basis. I've visited two or three different services since then only to be confirmed that, nope, still not still not time for me if it will ever be time. However, I did hold on to my doctrine. All of that fundamentalist, Protestant, evangelical, Orthodox Christian doctrine, I held on to a majority of it until 2020. Actually, it was in June of 2020 that I began doing a series of podcast episodes in my Train With Cliff audio journal podcast, which you can learn more about at trainwithcliff.com. It's a paid-for podcast. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Trainwithcliff.com if you're interested. But I started doing a series there, and I remember in the first few episodes, I was still turned off by Napoleon Hill's language of universal consciousness and the source and all this. Why can't he just say God? And I was still kind of like weirded out by the new age woo-woo language. However, as I was going through and as I continued to talk with other people who were asking me, I began to explain things in conversation with people and information and insight was coming through me that I had never previously studied or learned or ever heard before. And I'll never forget the time when I first explained the concept of everything is energy, and I began to understand that phrase 
in a way that felt like I've always known it, but it was the first time I was ever hearing it as the words were coming out of my mouth. From that point forward, then there's this thing called synchronicities. And synchronicities is just feeling led and guided. It just seems like I'm reading this book over here on this topic in this genre, and then I'm watching a documentary over here on a completely different genre. I begin having a conversation with a different friend of mine. I'm now over here experiencing this, and it seems like I'm having one conversation between myself and God, and where we left off in the book is where the documentary picked up, and when I, where we left off, left off in the documentary is where this conversation with this friend of mine picked up. It's hard to explain, and I don't want to explain it in this part two of this introduction, but synchronicity started happening everywhere. And then synchronicities definitely, I'm not going to go through all the details, but synchronicities definitely led me on August 26, 2020, to buy my first copy of the book, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. That book radically changed my life. As a result of that, it was the first time I'd ever allowed myself to be influenced by any understanding of God from a perspective and perception of God outside of Catholic Christianity and Protestant evangelical fundamentalist Christianity. And to say that I felt weird doing so is an understatement, but I felt compelled and called even, and I'm thrilled that I did. And, and I learned about things such as what's called spiritual awakening and enlightenment journey, self-realization, and all of these things that I had been conditioned very heavily to be afraid of. But everything that I had been convi- conditioned to be afraid of certainly didn't resonate with the number one teaching that I felt Jesus was always teaching me, which is be afraid of nothing, be anxious about nothing, don't worry about anything. Romans 8.38, for I'm convinced that neither height nor death, angel nor demon, nor anything else in all creation could ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus, I, seriously, I, it's nothing. So there's no book that's going to do this. So I, I began reading that by October of 2020, I knew something was radically shifting in my faith journey. So in episode 218 of the Train with Cliff audio journal podcast, it was titled The Rabbit Hole of Philosophy. And that was my first faith journey update. And I went on to do a lot of faith journey updates, probably 19, 20, 21 faith journey updates, very faith-oriented episodes. As I was learning and discovering and evaluating So much so that finally, by July of 2021, oh, did I have this? Yeah, okay. I'm trying, okay, yeah, we're we're right on the topic here. I've got, in nine minutes, by the way, now, eight minutes now, I have another coaching call, so I have to finish this in eight minutes. By July 2021, I brought back the return of EOTC podcast six years later, Episode 135, which, by the way, would be a great place to start beginning this podcast if you didn't want to go through my evangelical fundamentalist and God journey days, the the ones where I was still tied to my old theology and old doctrine and all of this other stuff, because episode 135 is a beginning of a new season. In episode 136, one of my favorite episodes, Am I a Heretic? Yes, the answer is yes, if you... 
define it a certain way. If you want, go check it out. Episode number 136 of this podcast. Then I was radio silent for a year. And then I pu- I did put in episode 137, January 2022, but that was a Cliff Ravenscraft show episode. And it just so happened to be I was answering, can you be in control of your emotional state all of the time? As a pastor was asking, I was actually using scriptures. And so I'm like, ah, oh, this would be a great encouraging others through Christ episode. But from January through June of 2022, I actually had an incredibly powerful experience. I hired a spiritual coach. And I met with this spiritual coach once a week, every week for six months. And it was from a shamanic practices journey. So if you don't know anything about shamanism, I would encourage you to look up the book, The Wisdom of the Shamans, which is by Don Jose Ruiz. It's called The Wisdom of the Shamans. And I'm going to hit stop. I've got six minutes until my coaching call. All right. So, but I was working with a spiritual coach and it was very new age kind of stuff. And I experienced some very metaphysical things and and it was an incredible expansion of just what I had been exposed to, a lot of breaking free from conditioned stuff, some inner child healing, understanding the role of ego in my life and my higher self and the connection to divine and using it from different perspectives. Over this period of time, I've also been very much involved with people through a program called Clubhouse during the pandemic years and and stuff like that, meeting people from all different religious faiths. Some of my best friends today are Sikhs or Muslims and people from all different walks of life, new age, spiritual, atheist even. And then May through August of 2022 were episodes 138 through 146. This is right after I finished up my coaching with Fabian. There are nine episodes in four months and then some more radio silence. So episode 146 is the last episode prior to me recording this. Episode 146 was August of 2022. That's almost a year ago. And here I am ready to bring EOTC back. And if you want to hear why EOTC is back, episode 147 will probably explain it because that's the episode I'm going to record next. Probably not today. It's taken me pretty much all day in between these coaching calls to record this episode 000. So I wanted you to have an overview of who I am. This podcast originally started as the About the Church podcast. And let me tell you, I was all about the church, the institution. I was all about read and study your Bible every day. I was all about these are the things we ought to do. These are the things we ought to avoid. And over time, that shifted. I finally broke free from institutionalized performance-based Christianity and had several years wondering and having the most incredible relationship with God, with Jesus, outside of institutionalized Christianity. And then in 2020, I began breaking free slowly from my doctrinal beliefs of evangelical fundamentalist Christianity. Today, I very much embrace a multiple paths to God. I have a way of believing that still the scripture that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, I believe that Jesus was accurate in that statement. 
And I believe that is still true. And I believe there's a way that people can go through what Jesus was speaking of, which is Christ consciousness. And so when Jesus was speaking, he wasn't speaking as the human Jesus. He was speaking as one who had attained Christ consciousness already. And he was speaking as Christ consciousness. And Christ consciousness is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not even important that they call it Christ consciousness. They could call it universal consciousness. They could call it the universe. They could call it source. These things don't sit well with the branches of Christianity that I've come up in, and that's why many would call me a heretic and an apostate today and a false teacher. But for me, why is this podcast still called Encouraging Others Through Christ? Because that name was given to me, and it still fits. I still consider myself to be a follower of Christ. I still call myself and consider myself to be a Christian. I do not hold orthodox, doctrinal, Christian theological views anymore. I am very much not concerned about those things in any way, shape, or form. Today, I would say that I'm more spiritual than I am religious, although I see the value of all of my religious experience. And I have a profound respect and appreciation for all faiths, all walks of life, all spiritual paths, even ones that don't believe in anything. So that's an introduction to this podcast. If you want to hear from the beginning how I got all the way to here, start with episode one right after this. Or if you want, you can skip all of that and just go and start straight up with episode number 135, the beginning of a new season. And with that, that is the introduction to the Cliff Ravenscraft journey of faith up till June 27th, 2023. If you want to hear anything more from this point forward, I'm going to pick up with episode number 147. Welcome to the EOTC podcast.